Todd Brinker, Aaron will be joining us momentarily. We are so happy that you are here with us today on a Monday. Yeah, I hope you all had a great weekend. I spent part of the weekend at the San Diego Zoo and walked and walked and walked and walked as one is wont to do at the zoo because the San Diego Zoo is a big place and there's lots of up and downs, so lots of hills. Um, They do a pretty good job of making like ramps and such so you can, as you're walking, you don't feel like you're walking straight up a hill. But there's still lots of walking and lots of altitude changes. And uh, But I'll tell you what, it was so worth it. Uh, we were celebrating Aaron's birthday. And, um, and you know, the, the quality of the, the zoo is is excellent. They, you know, they, they've always keep it clean. They, the, the enclosures for the animals always give the animals um, some space to move around in. And, uh, you know, I know that they, they also have the what used to be called the Wild Animal Park. I think they call it the Safari Park now. Uh, which is run by the San Diego Zoo. It's further north and haven't been there in a while, so that's probably my next trip. But um, because the, you know, they've got that, they've got, that's a wide open area where animals can range and stuff. And so um, I think that some of the animals get moved back and forth there if they need to be able to range more so that they can also have some space, you know, in a bigger open area. And uh, so, you know, and, and they do a lot of conservation work with the San Diego Zoo. They do a lot of work with um, uh, setting up, uh, you know, uh, breeding programs and things like that for animals that are endangered. They have a, uh, a condor breeding program that's run out of the San Diego Zoo. And so you can see California condors, the juvenile ones that aren't ready to be released yet, are uh, kept in an enclosure there. And it's always nice, you know, over the course of the pandemic, I have gone and on multiple occasions and looked at the zoo cams. And so you can look at the different enclosures and the animals that are there and uh, and see what's going on. But. Uh, excuse me. Um, but the uh, the you know, to actually go and see them live is just it's 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 something that I enjoy doing. I like seeing the animals and, and uh, seeing what they're doing. Um, we had good company along the way with Aaron and her brother and each of their spouses. Here's Aaron. Happy morning to ya. Happy morning to you. Yeah, I was talking about uh, being at the zoo again. How much I enjoyed that this weekend, and uh, did take a lot out of me. I, you know, I have some some back issues and some nerve damage issues, and so all that walking, I, I kind of pushed myself to the limit. I probably should have shut down a little sooner. But I was having such a good time, and, and we just really enjoyed the whole trip. It was it was a, a, a great uh, a great way to spend a Saturday. And so I encourage anybody who's listening, whether you're in, you know close enough to see the San Diego Zoo or not, just go visit the zoo wherever you are. There's there's zoos all over the place. Um, you know, go see the yes. animals. Yes, and and donate to zoos that are accredited mm-hmm. and that do uh, that do conservation work yeah. in addition to to having zoos because. Most of them, in San Diego included, are very, very actively engaged globally in in conserve conservation efforts. Yeah, yeah. Um, lots and lots so, of uh, endangered animals are being uh, cared for, bred, and and kept healthy through through the works that 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 that, uh, that quality zoos do. Um, you know, I I had talked briefly before you came on about the uh, California condors that were. 
uh, essentially extinct in the wild that have been re- repatriated, repopulated, and the San Diego Zoo has played a large part in that. And they've got uh, the, a lot of the juveniles are kept there at the zoo before they're able to go back out into the wild. So they, they're, um, and, and if you read about it, they, they usually keep one uh, sort of elderly or, or older condor there to sort of teach the younger condors how to be a condor. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they need that. They don't just know it all uh, uh, instinctively. They they need somebody to kind of show them how to behave, and so uh, they'll put the the teenage condors in a, in that enclosure there for a while with with an adult, and then eventually they'll move them back out into the wild as they grow up and are a little older. So it's like a high school teacher. Pretty much, yeah. It's like, yeah, here's how you behave, you ding dong. Um, but uh, yeah, so. So that's so, um, and I think that they've they've uh, there are condors now in Zion National Park. I think that's where they so they they had run they're running mm-hmm. out of their habitat um, in uh, in California. Sorry, in California, and so they they I think they took them to Utah. I think that's where yeah. they were. They've taken and they've been flourishing yeah. out there. Yeah, there's, there's some there's, there's some space. still in California too, but they're like trying to to make sure that there's enough of a breeding population to be successful in the wild. And so, um, yeah, putting them where there's some you know high rocky areas that they can hang out in. I know there's some at the Grand Canyon as well. There's a flock awesome. of them that you can see there. They come gliding by every once in a while because they spend most of their time gliding when they're flying. You know, and so if you can find these rocky areas where there's a lot of updrafts, they'll get up on those and they'll just kind of glide around for hours until they see something that they can eat and they go down and get it. Condors eat carrion, don't they? Um, Yeah, I think that they will like catch, you know, squirrels and rabbits and things like that if they see them and can get them. But yeah, primarily they're like a lot of vultures. They they uh, they look for the leftover pieces of things that other things have killed. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds yummy, so they doesn't hang it? Out with the raptors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yuck. Yeah, yeah. I think like like uh, raptors, or I think maybe they're even categorized as raptors. You know, they will eat. Um, and and I think the eagles are the same way. It's like they'll catch what they can, but if they if they don't catch anything, if they see you know a, a dead carcass there that's got meat on it that they can eat, they'll go down and eat it. They're not picky. Um, you know, we tend to look at the the condors and the and the vultures because they've got the kind of naked red heads as sort of the the yucky ones, right? But I don't know if their behavior is all that different from the eagles. It's just, you know, they're large birds that need meat. So, hmm. you know. so oh, I know that the high school teachers and the elementary school teachers and the middle school teachers, all teachers, are counting off the days for the end of the year yeah. and here in Southern California, that's about a month and then they're all done. Yeah. They're counting down and then they will take a deep breath that will exhale over the next like six weeks and then they start getting ready again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's yeah. been quite a year. I mean, it I think has. that they're all eager to be back full time, full time. And, um, you know, some schools are back hybrid, some schools, yeah. um, uh, you know, they have a dedicated teachers to teach on campus and dedicated teachers to teach online students i think everybody goes back on campus in the fall yeah i think in that many districts you know they were looking for excuse me i sneezed there um 
Yeah, I think that a lot of the teachers were very much looking forward to getting back to, you know, trying to do something in class. I know that there was a lot of, of conversation about, oh, the unions were trying to block kids going back to school. Mostly that was, don't send us back till. I'm sorry, my al- my allergies are now kicking up, so I now have the sneezes here, so um, I may be fading in and out a couple times. Um, you know, I, I think the individual teachers were all for teaching in the classroom. What they were against was send me back into the classroom without having had the opportunity to get any kind of protection, without the classrooms being prepared properly, um, and that's what they were against. And I think most of that has been addressed now, so I think most teachers would like to go back, although at this point in the season, uh, most of them are, let's just get me to summer. Right. Well, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to go back. Um, you know, there's some that some districts that have decided to go back, you know, here at the end of the year. I think that's kind of yeah. silly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Finish it out the way it is. And uh, yeah, and, you can't you just know, flip start. a switch and, and suddenly have everybody back at school and knowing what to do. I mean, you know, a lot of kids have grown or, or you know, left fifth grade and are going to sixth grade. And now it's a different classroom, a different school or left sixth grade. And now they're in middle school and they've got to go to, you know. And so it's going to take them a week or two to even figure out where their classes are and what they're supposed to be doing. And it's like, really, you're going to waste that time at this end, at the end of the season, at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, it just it's just finish it. We're close enough to the end. Let's get everybody across the finish line. We'll start fresh next year. And uh, and I think that's what most schools are doing. But like you said, some schools are sort of uh, looking at the money being dangled by the state in California and saying, hey, we can get some of that money if we force people to go back now. So yep. let's force a few people going back. And, you know, they're not looking at it. Hey, is this best for the kids? They're just going, this is what they're telling us. They'll pay us to do. Let's do it. Um, yeah, if they're getting more money, I hope they're giving it to the teachers who've had a, uh, just a hellacious year. You know, it's been so hard on the teachers to, to totally shift gears and, and teach like this. I mean, there's, it's obviously been difficult on the kids too. And, you know, but there, and there's been a lot of talk about that. I don't know that enough people have talked about, and of course we're both married to teachers, so we see it firsthand, but the amount of additional work and learning that they had to go through to be able to teach online and all of the infrastructure things that they've had to work on. And then when those infrastructure things haven't worked properly, because, you know, in one case, I know, um, you know, some of the, uh, the the details of like, you know, hey, guess what? Our grading system is now shut down for weeks on end because of, you know, whatever. Um, and and so now, you know, you know, online teaching is basically, yeah, you figured out how to do everything online. And guess what? Now you can't use any of the tools that we were using. So now what are you going to do? You know? Right. And then, Pivot. Pivot. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so there was a whole bunch of pivoting, sort of like, okay, I'm going to uh, sing and dance history this week, or, you know, math, one plus one is two, you know. So uh, what do you think, you know, Tobin and I talked about this on Friday. Um, what do you think about um, all of the kids who have either not shown up at all or who showed up? Um, sort of, they logged in, but they were ver- basically invisible. Yeah. Like they, they didn't participate. They didn't turn anything in. They just, you know, they just appeared theoretically as, uh-huh. as their profile appeared on camera or on in the classroom. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the sad thing is, is that's probably the majority, not the minority. Right. And so uh, at least from the numbers and things that I'm hearing, of course, you know, it's a small sample size, but from teachers that, that, I know that more kids have either not been engaged or just flat out not been there than have showed up. Now, if you look so, at, over the aggregate, probably a lot of them have showed up over the aggregate, but at any given point in time, most of them aren't there. 
So what do you do with those kids, Todd? What yeah. do they do they um, get held back? Do they, you know, do you force them into summer school? Do you, you know, what is the remedy? What do you think? Yeah, and I don't think you could do summer school yet because we don't even know what that's going to look like. You know, they got to actually the spend the summer. Are. Well, so yes, I mean districts are providing summer school, and I think you can try. But the thing is, is you know, are you going to are you going to be very successful? And you're asking teachers to then immediately go into without getting a break, going right into reteaching stuff in summer school. I mean, obviously, you'll get teachers who are willing to do it because they need the money, but it's that's that's incredibly difficult for the teachers as well. I don't know that that's going to provide. You know, it's not going to make up for the learning that was missed by forcing somebody to suffer. I think you you, you offer it, you try to you try to say, hey, that's you know, fill the gap. I think ultimately, what's going to probably happen for most kids is that everybody's just going to move on, and then, you know, say you taught sixth grade uh, this year. You're, this year, instead of just teaching sixth grade, you're going to spend a lot of the year doing sixth slash fifth grade because you're going to be doing reviewing. Um, so everything, every concept is going to have to be taught with a little bit more history of the concept rather than just here's the new stuff. Um, you know, and that's, that's it's going to be a, a modification of what's being taught because you can't at, take take the, the, you know, class of, I don't know, whatever, insert their, their graduation year and say that they're, you know, as a whole going to be split up and cut back. You know, I, I just, I yeah, there are some that are... are you know, doing more successful. In fact, I would almost rather see that everybody just kind of move forward and that those who are bored because they actually showed up online and learned this stuff, move them up a, cl- a year. Huh. You know, I don't know. I don't know that that's the right answer. I, I you know, I haven't given it a lot of thought in depth, um, but uh, it's, um, you know, it's the, the, the I think that, you know, a lot of it's going to be determined by how many kids are really behind and how many aren't, you know, because, I mean, it's just not going to be politically acceptable to say, you know, 65 or 75 percent of the students are going to be held back if they don't come to summer school. You know, I mean, I don't know that that's it. And and are they able to really handle that volume of kids over the summer? Summer school has traditionally been like, you know, a tenth of the school population, not the, the full, you know, not 65%. Um, but, you know, I don't know if that's the number. I don't know what the numbers are. I'm not the, sure either, to be perfectly honest yeah. with you. The um, sense I get was it's about 65%. I just believe that there should be some consequences for not showing up all year. Yeah. You know, and or for, you know, only, you know, showing up at theoretically showing up on your computer, but never, yeah. ever interacting or turning anything yeah. in. Yeah, and there in are, reality, there are right? things like that, yeah. Yeah, because there, yeah, there were a lot of kids who got up and logged in because they were told they had to, and then their parents left for work, and they basically then walked away from their computer, went and played video games, or whatever, went back to yeah. bed, you know, <laughs> because a lot of kids were left to their own devices because parents had to go to work. You know, so, not, every, not every home has has parents who can sit there and say, you know, you sign in, do your work. I'm watching you. Yeah. I will say not enough parents made use of the, you know, $25 video cams that you could point at your kid over their shoulder. And and uh, and so you could just check in on them randomly and look at them and say, are you doing your work? Are you logged in? Are you engaged? Do it. 
or when I get home, there will be consequences. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, there should be consequences for goofing off all year. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, I mean, it's obviously not an easy question to answer. And it's one that I'm sure every um, uh, state is talking about how to manage it in their, in their respective states. There are states who the kids have been back for, for months. And so they right. probably don't have to deal with that. But like California hasn't. So, yeah. um, and New York hasn't. And there are others yeah. who haven't. Well, there are some so. schools that have been back in California too, though. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's, so, it's such a hit and miss thing from, from one place to the next is to how much they've been back and how long they've been back. Um, you know, um, it's just it's and whether whether or not you go to a private school or public school has a lot to do with that. I think a lot of private schools, uh, especially church related schools, which tend to be much more conservative um, in, in their political stance, for whatever reason, they also tended to be much more. Let's just get them back to school. You know, we're not seeing any any studies and they don't have to go through a lot of bureaucracy. Generally, it's it's the, uh, you know, administration for that school that makes the decision. And, uh, and, uh, you know, they're motivated because they're, they don't make any money if kids aren't going to school. Right. So they were motivated to get kids back on the ground. Um, and for the, to, at least with my experience, cause I coach for a school that's a private school. Um, from what I can see, there's been very little ill effect from that. You know, as soon as they were, they could possibly get people back in classrooms, they would, they did. And they've had kids in classrooms for, you know, the majority of the year. And once they got them back in, they did not shut it back down. So. No. No. Hmm. So, well, we'll see what happens. You know, I think it'll all even out in in a in you know in a couple of years. You won't be. We'll be. I think things will be even back out. But I, agree. Uh, and, and, I don't. I don't think it's going to have any long term ill effect for the kids who who had a year off essentially. Um, and that's the that's the worst part of it is is whatever the the um, penalty is for them basically goofing off for a year. You know, it, as an adult, I don't think they're going to look back and say, well, if I'd only had that year, I would have had a better life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Um, so the Iranian Iranian, not Iranian, Iranian state television is claiming that Biden, the Biden administration agreed to unfreeze $7 billion for a prisoner swap. Um, and Biden is saying, the Biden administration is saying that that's not true. Um, so the Iranian state television claimed on Sunday that the Biden administration agreed to unfreeze $7 billion in Iranian oil assets and release four Iranians held in U.S. custody in exchange for the release of four Americans accused of spying. This is according to the Daily Wire. Um, uh, the State State Department's spokesperson, Ned Price, denied the report in a statement saying reports that a prisoner swap deal has been reached are not true. Um, as we have said, we always raise the cases of Americans detained or missing in Iran. We will not stop until we're able to reunite them with their families. So I wonder, you know, if this is just being leaked that it was floated it was leaked mm -hmm. and now you know the american public knows what's being talked about and it's definitely not going to be popular yeah. um so, we go, so no, no, they're, no. they're kind of trying to walk it back yeah 
It's possible. It's also possible that the Iranians leaked it in order to to sow discourse. You know, um, uh, I can see both sides of that happening. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's I, I, what what baffles me about that is why are there Americans in Iran <laughs> at all? You know, because it cannot be a positive place to be. You know that if you're there, you're going to get kicked, picked up and accused of something. Why do they well? Have but they to could be. They could be um, Americans of Persian descent, so they're there visiting family, or they're there conducting yeah. business, or you know, um, you know, just so that no. it's you know. That's all I could say. Just say no. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can imagine there's a variety of reasons why there would be people there. I'm just like, yeah, no, I, I think not. It's not exactly a place that you want to visit. Yeah. Yeah. I got relatives in Kansas, but if Kansas had broken away and said they want to kill Americans, I think I would stay out of Kansas. Um, but, you know, I say or that. get your relatives out. Yeah, exactly. I say that, but I've got family in North Carolina, too, you know, and that's my closer family. And if North Carolina broke away and was, you know, threatening America, I would want to try to get my family out, right? And I would do whatever I felt like I needed to do to make that happen. So I understand, but still. Yeah. What do you think about the idea that they maybe just released that as something that they thought would sow discord amongst Americans and that it really wasn't? Um, well, it certainly is. Yes. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. Um, I'm more inclined to believe that that we actually were having discussions about that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I I I, I know that um, that there are people in the Biden administration that are are pro Iran. I mean that they're that they they don't see Iran as being the great evil that that others see Iran as being, including myself. I think Iran. I mean certainly not the Persian people, uh, but the but the government in Iran is 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 pretty awful. Um, yeah. So I, I'm inclined to believe that maybe that was floated. That maybe they did start talking about that. Maybe you know maybe it's not a done deal. I I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not quick to dismiss it, though. Yeah, no, I I, I think you take it at, at face value until you see otherwise or you hear otherwise. But, um, um, yeah, I, I think it's possible that there were some sort of backdoor conversations about that. The um, you know, and as you said, the it's it's not the, the Persian people we have any issues with, um, you know, much like it's not the North Korean people we have any issues with or the Chinese people that we have any issues with. It's it, the, the way their governments behave. Um, you know, in the society of nations that has been an issue, um, you know, and, and, you know, to be fair, there have been countries that, that point to the way that the United States has behaved in the society of nations. And as you know, we, we've had, we've made missteps as well. Um, but you know, we've all got to figure out a way to get along from where we are right now. Right. You know, Absolutely. here's where we are today. Today, right now, what are we going to do to avoid throwing bullets and bombs at each other? Because that's not going to help anybody. Um, so um, hopefully we'll, we'll so figure something out. This story in um, San Diego uh, about this boat capsizing and mm -hmm. killing um, people who are trying to get into the United States. Yeah. It is a tragic story. Yeah, there's been some more deaths, too. I just saw it flash on the news while we were talking. Originally, they had said, uh, I think, three deaths and 27 in the hospital or something like that. And apparently some of those people have died. 
oh, that's just awful. Yeah. Um, you know, wow. So I, I, people are still trying to get in here, mm-hmm. uh, get into the United States. It can't be so and, awful. It can't be know. that awful, right? If, everybody, if all these people are trying to get in. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, several people were pulled from the water. Some required life-saving efforts on the beach. Um, there had been about 30 people on the boat in severely crowded conditions without adequate safety equipment. Um, hmm. So, yeah, Imagine that every overcrowding the boat as everybody tries to sneak into the country. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. You know, you know they're not thinking about, hey, everybody put on your life preservers. Let's go out no, for they're a three-hour tour. Three-hour Yeah, tour. exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, they charge, you know, thousands of dollars to families. They want to, you know, fit as many families mm-hmm. on that boat as possible. Yeah. They're not looking at them as people. They're looking at them as dollar signs. And that's unfortunate. Absolutely. And, it, you know, it shows you that there's people that are desperate trying to find a way to get here. You know. And so, um, you know, our policies and our and our procedures need to be looked at in terms of, you know, how are we incentivizing them? I know that there's some, you know, th- there's a lot of conversation and work trying to be done on stabilizing the places where the people are at in Central America and, and so that, that people can live there. I mean, I think everybody would rather live at home, right? Um, nobody wants to undertake a, a perilous journey and spend all this money and put their lives and their, their families' lives at risk if they don't have to. Um, you know, but situations have become untenable where they're living. And so, you you know, we, we do whatever we can to try to stabilize that. Uh, and that then takes away the incentive for them to, you know, hit the road and risk their life and live to get here. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a complex issue. There's not a single like, hey, just do this. Just put up a wall. That doesn't work. There's more to it than that. Um, and, and it's not like those who wanted to build the wall ever said that that was the only thing we were going to do, right? Um, but certainly, I think when Trump was in charge, he made it very clear that that we weren't going to be welcoming, welp- welcoming everybody with open arms, which is sort of the message that was sent out by Biden, and now we're realizing the, you know, the, the payout of that, that uh, messaging that went out. So... Not always so who do you think is – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, hey, by the way, we, we didn't do it yet. Before we forget, um, our trivia question was how many players are there on a water polo team? Do you know? Um, I'm going to say nine. Seven. Seven oh. are, are, are actually played any given time. There's uh, three on the front and three on the back line and a, and a, uh, a goalie. Goalie. So there's, there's seven people. That play at any ah. given time. Now, generally, there's more than seven on the team, right? Because there's there's subs and, and people sitting on the bench um, that come in, and and uh, and so there are a lot, you know there's more than just seven on the team, but there's seven players in the game at any one point in time. So. See, I learned something today. I never played. I swam, but I didn't play water polo. So mm-hmm. hey, I didn't know that. Yep, I swam and played water polo, and have coached both. And uh, you know, it's a great game. And no, it doesn't involve any kind of horses. <laughs> you know, water polo is one of those things where, like, you know, some sports are popular only when the Olympics come around. Water polo, I don't know that it even gets popular during the Olympics. But if you're in the culture that plays water polo, it's a fantastic sport. It's similar to, like, hockey or uh, in the Olympics they have what they call team handball, 
or soccer. It's very similar to soccer, actually, um, and hockey, where there's a net and a goalie in front of the net, and you play it that way. Um, you have to swim around, obviously, because you're in a pool, and uh, everybody other than the goalie can only touch the ball with one hand at a time, so you can't grab it with two hands. You have to catch it with one and throw it with one, um, which sounds difficult, but when you become adept at it, it's easy peasy. Um, and that's you know that's just table stakes. Then then lots of strategy involved. And in fact, in Europe and especially in Eastern Europe, uh, they have professional water polo leagues. So those who are really good at it not only can play in the Olympics, but actually can go and be pros. Um, a young lady that used to swim when she was a child uh, with uh, the um, Circle City Aquatics here in Corona that I used to coach, went on to play in college and then played a couple of years in the pros overseas before she came back and became a nurse. But, uh, yeah, huh. it's a great game. Water polo. So um, Ingenuity flew its last pr- planned flight this weekend, um, its fourth flight. And it went over 266 meters and was up in the air for 117 seconds. And uh, they were so pleased that when it landed, they came back and said, guess what? We're going to give you another 30 days of flying it around because we were supposed to basically abandon it at this point. And Perseverance was going to go on its merry way and do its thing because uh, it does have it's kind of it's it's got to stay within a certain proximity to to Perseverance because um that's it's how it, it relays all of its information back up to the to uh, to Earth, you know, is through through the rover because it's too small and light to have much of a radio power. It's just got enough to communicate to something there local. And uh, anyhow, everything went so well that they said we're going to put together some more plans and we're moving into the instead of just the the uh, what they were calling a, a um, technology demonstrator. They're now recategorizing it as operations demonstration phase. So, um, so apparently they've got some extra uh, flights that will do some things that they had not tested before. That because everything went so well, they're like, well, let's go ahead and try these other things out then and see how it does. Um, but uh, apparently they've got a pretty large data set of the things that it's gathered thus far. And they're going to, over the next month, do some further testing and what's interesting about all of these is that um you know this is i mean at this point it's all bonus stuff but if uh you know if something happens to the to the uh to the drone if if something happens to it or it doesn't land right or then they're like okay well it already went beyond what we expected so all of this is just icing on the cake Um, and so they may push it a little harder than they would have previously just because they can they're going to like well let's see how high it can go or let's let's go further over this way so we can peek over the edge of a crater or something and so so they're going to um you know try to use the the drone in ways that you couldn't use a a rover and take advantage of the fact that it can actually fly up over the terrain so kind of cool that is cool and and so why were they okay this is going to be a i mean i a dumb question but i'm sure there's still a lot more to explore um can I'm sorry. There are no dumb questions. <laughs> Says every um, teacher who then secretly goes, that was a really dumb question, but they don't tell the Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I know that there's lots of areas to still explore. Right. Um, you know, so our, why were so few trips like planned? Um, and mm-hmm. does it, does it then dock again? Or is it, is it, does it uh, just, is it just abandoned? So, um, it will be abandoned, just like the rover when it dies will just be left there on the surface. 
and it's it's um, very small and light, but it has its own solar cell on top of it, and it's got its own battery pack, so it sits and lands and then charges up, and then it's ready to fly again. And so as long as it's recharging and ready to fly, they're kind of taking advantage of that right now. And originally there was only four flights planned because it was a technology demonstrator. We just wanted to see if we could actually fly. And so it was put together, um, I won't say cheaply, but, but minimally. And so it was sort of one of the, it was an add-on to the to the um, to the Perseverance rover, and it was just sort of like, hey, let's see if we can fly something, and then what kind of if we can fly something, what are the kind of things that we would want it to be able to do, right? And so based on that, they they designed a very lightweight rover to just say, okay, we've got something that we can fly. Let's see how it works. And so the first four flights were mostly mostly just to prove that we could fly something and that we could. And, and, and so it has some, you know, has a few cameras on it so we can get some pictures while it's flying to say, yeah, okay, it goes up and it can fly. That's great. We've proven what, what we wanted to be able to do, that we can fly a rover on Mars, that it can be a controlled flight, and that we can do it multiple times and, and, and you know, at various distances given the parameters of that particular device. Um, and so now they're saying, okay, well, now that we've proven that, um, let's just take some extra time and say, okay, now instead of just demonstrating that we can do it, let's demonstrate some of the operational things that it can do. So let's let's say, are there a few things that it would be nice for us to be able to go and get some photos of? Or, you know, we know which way the Perseverance rover is going to go, so maybe we fly the other direction and see what's there. Or we fly out above where the rover is going to go so that we can then pre-plan its direction to make sure it avoids any obstacles along the way. Or if we see something kind of interesting and cool, maybe we can go target that, you know, and it's something that we can see because we're flying a few meters up in the air as opposed to crawling along the ground on the rover. So we might see something that was like, hey, we're going that direction anyway. Let's go over this way a couple you know, meters or, or, or however far to see this rock that looks pretty interesting. That There might be something over there that we, had, that we would have missed if we were just on the ground, right? And so that's kind of where they're at now is let's, let's use this technology that we've now proven works, that we've demonstrated, and... and do you know see if it can add to anything operational and i and they've they've got some pre-planned tests uh and some pre-planned flights for that so that's what they're going to do cool so yeah and and originally again it was designed to do those four flights so it has a pretty small battery uh it has a very small solar array on it because again it's got to be pretty light and so um you know it, it it's limited in what it can do and thus far, like a lot of things, a lot of our rovers, we've known, you know, they were supposed to work for 30 days and they end up working for three years or something, you know. Um, this stuff is yes. so over-engineered that it turns out this is the same thing with Ingenuity is that, hey, you know, we were hoping it would work for four days, but apparently it's the, the, the batteries are charging fine with the solar panel and everything's working well. So let's let's just keep using that sucker. So, so Very cool. Yeah. So closer to home, there's some technology news, and I just sent it to you. Um, uh, there's a, um, Coming from Mac Rumors, um, Apple is to launch an 8-inch foldable iPhone in 2023. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought this was interesting simply because Apple doesn't generally telegraph what they're coming out with until yeah. it's either yeah. out or ready to come out. The The source of this is, is Kuo Ming-Chi, and he is a... Um, uh, analyst who basically tracks the the production line, so he's in China and follows uh, and in or in Taiwan, and he he looks at what's coming off production line and he has he has uh, 
little birds that whisper in his ear about stuff all the time. And what happens is, is that Apple, like a lot of companies, when they get ready to produce something, will send things over and produce, you know, like say they're going to make, you know, 15 million of, of device X because Apple does things in volumes like that. They will, they will send over all the plans and say, okay, let's make like 100 of them. And then we'll box them all back and send them back to Apple. And Apple then will test the hundred of them. And then based on that, they may make changes on the design or adjustments and things like that. And so these, these little like pre-production runs. Well, he gets wind of these pre-production runs and then is able to sort of talk a little bit about what he thinks is coming based on, on what people are telling him about, and sometimes even sending in pictures of things off of pre-production runs. And, of course, if Apple finds out, then the people who are leaking to him lose their jobs. But um, apparently it's uh, – I, I assume there's money or something changing hands so that these people feel like it's worth risking that to, to let him know what's going on. So what do you think about foldable phones? Um, they've been around now for a year or so in sort of a functional fashion. Um, Samsung and LG made them, um, uh, and Huawei, I think, makes one. Um, and it's, it looks like they've kind of got the technology down to where they work and this, you can, you know, put the OLED onto a foldable, foldable substrate. And, uh, and if they work it so that the thing doesn't have to bend, you know, a tight bend, like a fold, but sort of a, a, um, a rounded edge as it folds up, uh, I, they seem like they work fine. I, I question the value of it. In fact, um, most recently, uh, in my phone, I went from the max size phone to the regular size phone because the phones were getting just too big for me. I would like them to be actually, I, I would like to see them downsize a little bit. In fact, had I been looking for a new phone, and I, I, have, a, I have an iPhone 11 or iPhone 11 Pro, uh, but not the Pro Max. Um, I, so I wasn't interested in an iPhone 12 and probably won't be in a 13, but maybe when the 14 comes around. I hope that by that point in time they still have the mini because the iPhone 12 mini that was introduced this year would have been something I was probably very interested in. I have decided that I prefer something a little smaller and lighter in my pocket all the time. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of think the, the Jumbotron phone is something I'm not particularly fond of. Now, if they were able to make something that was sort of a mini size, but then folded to be a larger size, unfolded to be a larger size, then maybe I'd be interested. But it seems to me that everything that I've seen is that the folding ones are the size of a jumbo phone. And then when you unfold it, it's the size of a tablet. And it's like, great, it's even bigger. than <laughs> You know, I'm getting tired of them being too big and they're making them even bigger. Um, I just feel like that trend for me has gone too far, you know, personally. Yeah, I um, so I carry a purse. Most women's uh, pockets are, if they exist yeah, at all, are so small. Yeah, like you could you could barely fit a lipstick in it or chapstick. Yeah. It's a mocket. Um, it's so, not a pocket. It's there to mock you. It, it's seriously, it's it's seriously. Why bother? Yeah. Um, and so you know, I I carry a purse. I I have the iPhone 10 XR or 10, so that the X. 10 R or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's as big as I, I would want on a phone. I yeah. wouldn't want anything. Bigger. And that's roughly the same size as the phone that I have. I have, like I said, the 11 pro my, my wife has an iPhone 11 and, uh, hers is a hair bigger than mine. But I mean, you know, unless you've held them next to each other, you wouldn't know or care. Uh, 
in terms of the difference and the you know all of the the X the, the iPhone 10 the 10R the 10S the 11 <laughs> those are all roughly the same size you know I mean there were slight changes here and there but I mean you know we're talking millimeters and yeah I'm with you it's as big as I want and 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 you know I had the um, I went from the 7 to the 11 so I waited four generations before I went up or five generations I guess I didn't. I guess it was four generations because there wasn't really a nine. They skipped the nine and went to the ten. Uh, I didn't get the eight. And the eight and the ten came out at the same time. But then they went to the ten R and then the eleven. So that's like still four generations. I don't know. It's confusing these days, isn't it? Um, it is. Uh, but the seven Max that I had was probably my favorite phone of all time. I really liked that phone a lot. Um, and I've got to say, I liked the 11, but what really crimped my liking of it was the fact that COVID hit and I couldn't open the stupid thing with my face anymore. And it uses face ID. It's got no button, uh, no touch ID. Um, and so, you know, what I thought would have been a great phone, I really didn't like very much initially. Um, the latest version of the iOS now allows my watch to unlock it, and that makes it much more likable for me because now I can just look at it and it opens up again, even if I have a mask on. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, size wise, those two are about the same size. The seven and eight series max is about the same size as the non max, uh, 10, 11, 12 size phones. And my sense is, is that I really, that I, I don't definitely, I definitely wouldn't want one of the maxes of the 10, 11, 12, cause that's even bigger. I would want smaller. So I, like I said, if I were in the market today, I'd be buying the iPhone mini, um, and I've, yep. heard, I've heard some rumors that that one's possibly being canceled because they're not selling enough of them. Oh, interesting. Which I would hate. <laughs> it's like when I'm ready to get a new phone, which won't be for probably another year or two at least, um, I want that one still to be around as an option for me. Well, you could buy one and just hold on to it. Yeah, that's what I want. When I want to use the new phone, I'll unbox it two years from now and go, let's use two-year-old phone technology. You know me. <laughs> Come on. I know. A lot of people know. wouldn't well, know or yeah. care the difference, right? A lot of people go, so whatever. It's a brand-new phone, and it works fine, right? Not me. Yes. I would I would constantly go, it doesn't have the best camera. It doesn't have the best processor. It doesn't have the, it's not the new one. You know. Although I say that, <laughs> I've never been the person who's gone out and bought like a new one every year. I've not. I've never been that person. Um, I don't just pay that uh, that lease price that you can pay through a lot of uh, phone companies and through Apple, where you just get it the latest yes. and greatest every year. I don't do that. Um, you know, I buy my phone, I buy it outright, and I sit on it for you know at least two, if not three or four years, and then I move you on drive to the it till the wheels fall off. Yeah, yeah, not quite as much as I do the cars. Yeah, cars I do it till almost they literally fall off. <laughs> I drive them a long time, but. Um, but the phones, yeah. I. What's nice is I, I, you know, a lot of people, and I knock on fake wood here, um, I've never had like a broken screen or anything like that with mine. I take good care of my electronics. And so when I'm done with them, they look almost as good as new. And, uh, and I usually end up handing them down to a daughter when I upgrade. So they upgrade when I upgrade. So. So with that, we are at the end of our show for today. We are. Time flies when you're having. Yes. Yes.
I'm Erin Brinker. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.